Lord, we just thank you so much for the reality of your son. Lord, thank you so much that you have brought us to another world. We've walked out of a grave through you into another world. We live in a world where, the, where law has no jurisdiction. We live in a place where grace is in the sky. We live in a place where the blue skies of this natural world speak of a place in our spirit called heaven. The blue of heaven within us. We live under the skies of grace. For we are no longer under law, but under grace. In this place, Christ himself is all and in all. For you, Lord, have been made into us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In union with the Christ, we have all. For all things are ours and all things are Christ's and Christ is God's and all things are God's. It's awesome. Thank you for this rest, Lord. Thank you for this reality. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would see these things more clearly than ever. That we would hear the voice of our good shepherd. That we would follow no stranger, but hear the voice of our shepherd. For we need no man teach us, but the anointing which abides within us shall lead us into all truth. And we shall abide in him. For he must have preeminence in all things. He must be the first voice that we hear. He must be the life. He must be the truth that we live in. Thank you, Lord. For you are freedom. You are liberty. You are life. Thank you, Lord. No match for the darkness. Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. There's a verse in the Corinthian letter that uh, Ken's looking up for me. Oh, see, we can somebody can find it. What's that verse in the Corinthian letter where Paul says to the Corinthians, "I fear lest as Satan beguiled Eve and moved." her from the simplicity of Christ, that you also, you Corinthians also would be moved from the simplicity of Christ. I should have looked it up before I got here, but that's, that's the verse in the Corinthian letter. You, are you, you're familiar with that, right? You remember that verse? Yeah. It's awesome verse. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, you Corinthians, I I fear lest you have been as Eve was beguiled by the enemy in the garden to be moved from the simplicity of Christ, which is an awesome statement. Because what he's saying there is that the tree of life is actually a picture of Christ himself, we know. And, and the enemy was moving her, tried to move her from simply being with God because they were just with God. They didn't know they were naked. God didn't tell them they were naked. It wasn't important. They were with God. See, what's the, what's the purpose of not being naked and being clothed and being righteous is to be with God? Well, they were with God. They already had it. They had the ultimate. They were with God. They walked with God. They were with God. Not necessary to tell Adam he's naked. That's why God said, who told you you were naked? That's not the issue. 
I'm all you need. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's it. So the enemy moves Eve from the simplicity of just being with God, the life, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Paul's writing the Corinthians, and he's saying, I'm, I, I'm, I, this, is, this is the old trick of the enemy. He's moving you away from the simplicity of Christ, as he, tried to do, as he did with Eve, to the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. And so Paul addresses that. And in fact, in that same passage, he talks about another Jesus. That if someone comes preaching another Jesus to you, don't listen to them. Another Jesus. Not the Jesus that Paul preached. Awesome. 2 Corinthians 11. Awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, verse 3. Awesome. Okay, cool. Second. Yeah, in, in the Galatian letter, he says, Paul says, you know, if an angel of hev- angel from heaven or if any other man or if I myself change what I told you in the beginning, don't listen to me, don't listen to the angel and so forth. Because he knew he'd heard from J- Jesus himself. He knew he'd heard from the Christ. So that's pretty powerful. He says, if I, if I go bonkers and change what I said in the beginning, don't listen to me. Just remember what I said in the first tape. <laughs> you know. But anyway, so this is what I want to share this morning. And um, I was thinking about asking for a volunteer to write up here. Does someone feel like uh, with, with good handwriting wants to write? Uh, you mind, do you mind doing it? Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, here we go. Let's go, let's go run through this. This is so cool. First, if you don't mind, let's just put that scripture up there so I can check it later. It's 2 Corinthians, Pam? 11. 11. Okay. Three. Three. Okay, good. And that whole chapter is really good. I guess what I'm doing this morning is, is, is uh, kind of raising a, a warning flag, if you want to say that, say it that way, a warning flag, to be aware of the schemes of the enemy we're not ignorant the scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices and his schemes and they and he was trying to move the corinthians away from the simplicity of christ of jesus himself being all that they need to a complicated approach to walking with god the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is very complicated very complicated the tree of life is very simple Because it's not the tree of the knowledge of life. It's the tree of life. In Christ, we have life. Not ten steps to life. You see the difference? You see the difference? So, God gave us life in His Son. And if you're in His Son, He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son has not the life. So, it's, a, it's genius. It's genius of God that we would live by another inside of us, that we would live by him, even as the Son lived by the Father within. Even so, Jesus said, as I live by the Father, you too shall live by me. I shall be in you, you in me, and I shall live through you. As Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who's inside of me. Awesome. Okay. Now, 
This is some of the ways the enemy will come at us to move us from this simplicity of Christ. And it's not all, well, just, just hear in the spirit what I'm saying because it's not like people who maybe are saying these things or doing these things are not from the devil. They're just, there's thinking that has been tainted and they, can, they think they're saying the right things and doing the right things. But even as Peter said to Jesus, you shall not go to the cross. No, you shall not die. And he didn't know that the enemy was speaking through him. In the same way that can happen if we don't have our minds renewed to the simplicity of Christ as everything. Because when you see Christ as all in all, you speak differently. And you see things differently. Okay. One way the enemy will try to move us from the... This focus on Jesus himself. Keep in mind that the Lord himself said that only one thing is needful. Only one thing is needful. Martha was busy, busy, busy doing things. And Mary was at his feet. He was, she was with him. Beholding him. Receiving from him. Listening to him. She was simply with him. The one thing that is needful is to be with him. End of story. Because he becomes all things for us. It's a rest. That's, that's the whole point of it. So it's a powerful statement when the Son of God says, in this life, he actually said it this way. I love the way he said it. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this life, there's only a few things really needed. Only a few things necessary. He said, really? Only one. Isn't that cool? He said, there's only a few things necessary. Really? Only one. And Mary has chosen that one thing. She was simply with him, receiving from him. Okay, the simplicity of Christ. One way the enemy will come at you and I to move us from this simplicity is, is to approach the revelation of God or Christ in a way, and I'll, I'll say it this way, it's a, it's a well-accepted word in, in Christendom, but I tell you, it's got problems. And it's the phrase, systematic theology. Systematic theology. On the surface, that sounds, well, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with that? Systematic theology. So if you could, yeah, just write systematic theology. Thanks, bud. Systematic theology is just a term that means it's the study of God. Theology is the study of God in a systematic way. You know, what's wrong with that? Organizing your thoughts. You know, let's study God. Let's study heaven. Let's study angels. Let's study faith. Let's study grace. Let's study Jesus. Let's study old covenant. Let's study new covenant. The problem with that approach in that way of thinking is that Jesus, who is the center of all things, simply becomes a point on the outline. It becomes a point on the outline. It becomes one of the chapters in the book. And he's not a chapter. He is the book. He's everything. So a better word than systematic theology, where we're talking topical and trying to study God in a topical way, because that's Western mind. They're trying to take this, this invisible reality of God and put it in outline form. Notice the scriptures are not written that way. You don't see the Gospels or the letters of Paul written as a systematic theologian would write it. Not even close. 
you see the four Gospels, witnesses beholding him and watching him. Watching him walk and talk, writing down what he said. Watch him walk, watch him what he did, what he said, beholding him. And watching the, 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 uh, the circle of events that surround him affect him and how he responds to it. They're watching life in action and they're just recording it as a witness. And look at the letters of Paul. Paul didn't write as a systematic theologian. Not even close. Paul was Christ-central in all that he wrote. And from that centrality of Christ, out of that reality, out of that revelation came understanding of grace and faith. But it was grace in Christ Jesus. It was faith in Christ Jesus. It was all, you know, life and in him. Everything was in him and through him and by him. So Paul, all the apostles wrote in this Christ-centered way, not in this systematic theologian approach to the Revelation of God. So a better term is not systematic theology, but concentric theology. Concentric, C-O-N, concentric theology. And the word concentric just means, you know, you've heard of concentric circles. Concentric circles means that you have, um, and let's let's draw um, over here like, Circles within circles, like three or four, that'd be great. A concentric, cir- concentric circles just mean that all these circles have the same common center. They're concentric. Oh, I'm, so, I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. This, uh, I wasn't clear. That's a, that's a smiley face. <laughs> Wait, yeah, like, like, yeah like, like the rings of a tree. Okay. Yeah, like circles within circles. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Thanks. So, so circles within circles within circles, see that all have a common center. That is really the, the proper way to look at the study of God. It's, it's a, it's a concentric theology where Christ himself is the center and that in him we see, we understand grace and faith and life and old covenant, new covenant, but it's all related back to him as the center. Isn't that cool? Because it's a subtle thing, but it can move you and I away from seeing him as the center, as the focus, as opposed to uh, seeing this topical approach to the study of God. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it in people that are, that are just steeped in systematic theology, but they can't even really hear, you know, when you talk about how Jesus himself is, is, is actually my life. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't register because it's more of a, it's like, it's, so just be aware that, that it's not really, we're not, the, the proper way to study God is the way the Spirit of God wrote the Scripture. And the Spirit of God wrote the Scripture as a revelation of Him. Um, okay, secondly, a second way that the enemy, um, and you, a lot can be said about this one, I'm trying to hit three big things this morning. second way the enemy can sometimes uh, move us from that simplicity of Christ is you hear sometimes people talk about the cross-centered life. The cross-centered life. And it sounds very noble. And it sounds very scriptural. The cross-centered life. In fact, it's almost like a badge of honor that some people have talked about it as if we've arrived beyond playing church. 
We're no longer just playing church. We are of the group that live the cross-centered life. Sounds good. Sounds scriptural. Just like systematic theology sounds pretty harmless. And in this teaching, the focus is on the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. But the truth is, the cross is not the center of the gospel. Christ himself is the center of the gospel. Christ himself is the center of the gospel. If you make the cross the center of the gospel, then you neglect what happened after the cross. Because the, same, the, the gospel, the revelation of Christ, begins with the pre-existing reality of the Son. It begins in, before anything was made. He made all things. It continues in the incarnation of the Son, the Word becoming flesh. It continues with what theologians call positive obedience. I think it's positive, yes, positive obedience, in that his life was a perfect life. He lived the perfect life. Remember now, he lived the perfect life so that we could be given that righteousness as a man. He had to live the perfect life as a man, or else his death would not have given us anything except for atonement, but we wouldn't be able to get anything positive. We wouldn't be able to get the righteousness of a man. So his life was as important as his death. For that's what qualified him to die and also to exchange his righteousness for us as a man. He was righteous in God as being God in God before anything was. But as a man, he had to live. He was born of a woman under the law that he might fulfill all things that we might be able to get the gift of righteousness as a man living under law on the earth. So his life was as, as, as crucial. It, it was the lamb without spot. And then his death, which is all incredibly important, of course. The death is what triggers everything, what, what, what brings us into what God is and who he is. Because he could have lived the perfect life. He could have been incarnated, lived the perfect life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, called for legions of angels to rescue him. And we'd still be in the same mess. So he had to die. He had to give himself. He had to, to take upon himself the judgment of the world, which he did. And I think it's interesting that Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you, but he didn't say the cross. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus himself and him crucified. You see? But him crucified is not the end of the story because on the third day he was raised again. For this is the gospel, Paul says. Boy, died, buried, and was raised again. So then you have this same Christ raised from the dead. This is where the new creation began. This was the beginning. He, he was, the last Adam was, was uh, brought forth at the resurrection. Yes. See, he was part of the Adamic race when he came as a woman, born of a woman. But when he was raised from the dead, that was the beginning of the new Adamic race. This day have I begotten thee, the scripture says, in the resurrection. See, because we are not of the earth. The last Adam was the Lord from heaven. The first Adam was of earth. The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit, which did not happen until the resurrection. So in his resurrection, he raised the new race. Shall a nation be born in a day? So the resurrection was the beginning of the new Adamic race. This day have I begotten thee, the scripture says. That's when we were born of him in life. 
So resurrection is unbelievably important. But really, but look at what's the center of all this. Not just one, one act in this journey, but the Christ himself. And then Christ ascends, Jesus ascends, and by ascending, he takes us with him. And in him, he takes us to the other side. And we ascend with him and sit with him in heavenly places. That's in him we move from this realm in life now to that realm. We have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. That's why we have authority over the enemy and over darkness, because we are seated with him in that place of authority. He sits on the throne, and we are in him and with him in that realm. And that's why we've been delivered from the domain of darkness in him. Very important. And then he ever lives to be our life. To be our life. Not as we suppose to intercede for us. For he, sa- for he says, I do not pray the Father for you. He said, do not think that I pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. See, we think he's up there praying for us. Oh, Father, help them. No. That's not what the word intercession means. It means to stand in the place of another. To be me before God. That's why I can go boldly to the throne of grace. Because he, I am as he is before God. In union with him. He stands. He forever intercedes. He forever lives in, in an intercession of being. Not praying. In, in like we, we immediately hear the word intercession. And we think prayer. No. It's, it's a being of I stand in the place of Billy before God in union with me. Billy is before God and I'm where Billy is on earth. And because he lives forever, that access is never thwarted boldly to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. He ever lives. Our high priest ever lives. See, that's important. My gosh, that's how we live the earth on the earth, him, our life within us every day. And then his return to earth, his second coming where he, The invisible kingdom is made visible and he puts down every enemy. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself where what he's already accomplished is brought to fruition and the natural and the new heavens and a new earth opens up. And, you know, so the center of the gospel is not the cross. It's Christ himself. And it makes sense because what was the mystery? What was the secret that was hidden in God before the world was? It wasn't the cross. It was the son. It was the Christ. Colossians says, this is the mystery. Colossians says, this is the secret that was hidden in God. Even Christ himself. The wheel within the wheel. The word within the word. The son who came. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not to diminish his work at all. You hear, you hear what I'm saying. But those who focus on the cross-centered life tend to miss the new creation. You will find in an emphasis on a cross-centered life a misunderstanding of what it means to die daily. Those who emphasize the cross-centered life will talk about dying daily. They will tie the concept of dying daily to sin and the flesh. But the scripture teaches that the dying daily has nothing to do with sin or flesh whatsoever. And there's confusion because of the emphasis. This has practical implications in our life when we make the cross the center of the gospel and not Christ himself. We miss the fact that we don't die daily as a believer in that sense as it relates to sin or the flesh. We died once. 
And Paul says it a thousand times. Know you not you are already dead. Know you not that you have died. Past tense. Know you not that you are crucified with Christ. I'm sorry, brother. Why don't you sit there and then I'll, if I need to write some more, then okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what? Let's, if you don't mind, let's do... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you don't mind, let's put cross-centered versus Christ-centered. Excellent. Thanks, man. So you, you have this daily dying mentality in a lot of uh, teaching out there. And the Scripture says clearly you've died once. We died through judgment, through the cross of Christ. That's where dying related in relation to sin happened. And that's the only way you can get rid of sin is to die in judgment for your sin. And that's what happened through Christ. Now, what happened, what happens with this daily dying, Paul talked about he, he, he was, that he died daily. Paul said that. In the context of when he said that, he was talking about being persecuted for the gospel. He was talking about wild beasts in Ephesus. He was talking about his even brothers, Jewish brothers who were plotting against him. He goes, I die daily. He goes, my life is, is out there um, at risk daily because of this gospel that I preach. Think about it. Jesus said, if they gave me a cross, they'll give you a cross. Did they give Jesus a cross because he had sin? So what's he talking about there? Here, now think about this. Jesus said, if they gave me a cross, they'll give you a cross. And if you're not willing to take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. He's not even talking about sin. He's talking about himself, the perfect one, sinless one, who is given a cross, being given a cross by this world. A cross, a cross speaks of rejection. Rejection unto death. That's what the cross is. So he's simply saying, if you, if I, your master, your Lord, am getting a cross, you too will get a cross from this world. For the servant is not greater than the master. And if you're not willing to be rejected by this world, if you seek the praise of men more than the praise of God, if you seek to, be, to please men more than God, you cannot be my disciple. You can't follow me because this is part of it. That you're not going to be best buddies with this world who hates me. They hated me first, Jesus said. They will hate you also. But they, they will not all hate you, he said. If they loved me, they will love you too. In other words, he said, some will love you because they love me. And you will have fellowship and you will have encouragement among those who love me. If they love me, they will love you because you're with me. If they hate me, they will hate you. That's the cross. That's the cross we have to be willing to, to bear, the cross of rejection from this world. Otherwise, we cannot follow him. We cannot, you know, because every time, you know, something comes up, we're just, oh, no, no, I, I want to please man and not God. And, and really what happens is the new creation yearns to be with him. So that's not, it's not an issue, but it's something he tells us ahead of time. He goes, I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you're not offended. He goes, I tell you ahead of time, this is coming. There will be those even that will seek to kill you thinking they're serving God, but they do this because they know not me nor my father. And I tell you this ahead of time that you might not be offended and be hurt by it because it's to be expected. If they hate me, they will hate you. It gives you strength to go through it. So to die daily is all about the new man being rejected, not the old man dying of sin or putting off sin. You see the difference? 
The cross, taking up the cross or dying daily, speaks of the new man being rejected by this world even as the Lord himself was. And that's what that phrase means. But if you have a cross-centered gospel twisted in that emphasis will also be an emphasis on, it will be a, a, there will be a connection between dying daily and your sin and your flesh. Now, part of that misunderstanding comes from scriptures that talk about mortify the deeds of your body. Mortify the deeds of your body. Put on the deeds of the new man. Put off the deeds of the old man. But that's not talking about dying daily or taking up the cross. See, that's the confusion there. The reason why Paul talked about that in terms of mortifying the deeds of your body on earth, he's, he's talking about how life, the emphasis is on life, not death. Life will put to death the deeds of the body. See? So the new creation, the new man, doesn't focus on dying. The new man focuses on living. See? As the scripture says, even as Christ died once, never to die again, and ever lives unto God, even so you consider yourself as having died once, now ever alive unto God. Present yourself as one who is alive from the dead. So the Christian life is not about dying. It's about a death in him, through him. The Christian life is about living. It's the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life that puts to death the deeds of the flesh. It's life. It's life. It's his life. He lives. And the focus on the cross-centered gospel misses his life. And somehow intertwined in this is a focus on sin. Sometimes the phrase indwelling sin is used where you look for sin in your life, indwelling sin. And so you can try to put to death indwelling sin. It's a mess and it leads to death because the the sin that is indwelling in us is not even in the real you. You have a new heart. You're a new creation. There is sin, but the sin is in the power. The power of sin is in the mortal body. It's in our members, Romans 7 says. The power of sin is in our members. We have been separated from the power of sin as far as the east is from the west. We have been translated into a new reality, into the kingdom of the beloved son. We have been raised from the dead. If anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. The heart, especially the heart. There is no evil in your heart. There is no sin in the heart God has raised from the dead. Ezekiel prophesied and said, The day will come when he will wash us with pure water, and he shall give us a new heart, a new spirit that has been fulfilled in Christ. The circumcision of the body has taken place. Colossians says he's cut away the body of the flesh. He has removed the inner man from the outer man in a very great mystery where he leaves the power of sin in the body. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The power of sin remains in the body. The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is alive because of his righteousness. A cutting has taken place. God has cut away the body and has raised you and brought us into union with himself. You walk the earth holy and blameless because you are holy and blameless. Isn't that awesome? Because Christ is the center of the gospel, not the cross. Tell you, understanding comes like, oh, that's right. That's it. That's it. The spirit in you, the spirit of truth in you says yes. And the third thing that real quickly, the third thing is that you'll hear sometimes preachers or teachers say on the radio or whatever that, Yes, we're not justified by the law, 
But the law is a very important part of the Christian life to, le- to teach us how to live our lives and to guide our lives. Whereas Paul made no distinction between, he didn't say, you're now dead to the law as it relates to justification. But you're not dead to the law as it relates to sanctification. No, he didn't. It's very simple. It's very powerful. You're dead to the law. You're dead to something. You're not under it. You're dead to it. If he didn't make those distinctions, distinctions, he misrepresented the truth. He misled us. Paul misled us if he didn't make those distinctions, and he did not because he was not supposed to. Because the truth is, you are totally free from the law, not just for justification, but for sanctification also. Yes. So, what, so how does this fit into this, this moving us from the simplicity of Christ? I'll tell you how it does. Because those who have that concept that the law is now very important for your life of sanctification, which, how do they get that? The law says, don't kill. The Spirit of God says, love your enemies. The life of Christ in you is so far superior to the law. Why do you go back to the letter? And in fact, Romans 7 says we no longer serve in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. That is not a phrase that talks about justification. That's, talk, that's a phrase that talks about living your life. It doesn't say we no longer are justified by the letter of the law. No, it says we no longer serve God. We no longer serve God. We no longer serve God after the oldness of the letter, Paul says. Serve God. That's a, that's a phrase that talks about your life on earth. A disciple. We no longer serve God by the oldness of the letter. If it were true that the law was so crucial for your sanctification, your serving of God, Paul, by making that statement, misled us and misrepresented the truth. He was ambiguous and vague and should be voided out. His letters should be thrown out. But he wasn't ambiguous and he wasn't, vo- wasn't vague. We no longer serve God in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. Who are the sons of God but those who are led by the Spirit of God? See, God teaches us. The, the, day, the time is coming when they will no longer say, Know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord to each other. But they all shall know me from the least into the greatest. For they all shall be taught of me in this new covenant within so what is this, this last thing? It moves us from the simplicity of Christ because you'll find an emphasis of the Old Testament where they kind of diminish, they will diminish the focus of finding Christ in the Old Testament. They will say things like, yeah, Christ, there's messianic scriptures in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's great. But you lose the value of the Old Testament by trying to find Christ on every page. You need to see the value of the law too as a Christian. And yeah, there's Messianic scriptures that talk about His coming and so forth, but you need to study the law and, uh, and use that as, as part of your arsenal and sanctification. No. Jesus said every page speaks of Him. He opened their understanding. They saw that it all was about Him. And if you have the idea that law is important for your sanctification, you will take that approach and you will, and you will kind of diminish this emphasis of seeing Christ in the Old Testament. And yet that's how God intended it to be, to build our faith in His Son. For all the scriptures, Paul said, speak of Christ and faith in Him. 
as the way of salvation, Timothy. Everything reveals him. Everything. So those three things, and I guess here we could put um, a lack of a Christ emphasis in the Old Testament because of the value that these teachers see in the law. And what's behind all of this, really, you know what's behind all this? These three things. Concentric versus systematic. Cross-centered versus Christ-centered. A lack of emphasis of of seeing Christ in the Old Testament as opposed to um, kind of putting Jesus and the law side by side like Peter saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Like we need to have, you know, we need to see the value of Moses and Elijah and add Jesus to it. No. Moses and Elijah is gone. It's Christ. Christ, Christ is everything. All in all. Revealed in Scripture. You know what's behind all that? Paul said, thank you, brother. What's, what's behind all that is Paul said, when I leave, Paul says, when I leave, men will come and they will draw disciples after themselves. All of this has to do with men drawing disciples after themselves. Whether an intellectual kind of look to me to give you your answers. I'm the, I'm the brilliant one. I'm the one that knows all the answers. I'm the elite seminary graduate. I can tell you what God is like. I can bring you to, you know, or if it's this, a control thing to keep you under the thumb of leaders who constantly remind you of your sin or this further control of measuring yourself up by the law and missing it, missing the whole point instead of a freedom of who we are in Christ. You see that? The truth releases you to Christ. The truth is a Christ-centered gospel. The truth brings everything together. We now know what it means to die daily. We now know what that really means. We now know that we died once in Christ. We now know that it's not the cross at the center of the gospel, but it's Christ himself. We know now that it's really not systematic theology we want. It's concentric theology where Christ is the center of all things. And now the richness of the Old Testament comes alive as we see him on every page. Instead of getting rules to keep and things to do, we get a deeper revelation of him who is our life. And in that faith, his life is released and we bear much fruit. And in this way, no flesh can glory. No flesh can take credit for this great mystery. For great is the mystery of godliness. For they who do these things and approach it this way have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Lord, thank you so much. Help us to see the simplicity of Christ. Help us to follow the shepherd and no other stranger. Thank you for the wisdom you give us to walk in the simplicity of Christ. A concentric theology. A Christ-centered theology. And a Christ revealed in the Old Testament that we might rest 
For all these things are speak of me, Jesus said. You search these scriptures and you think that you have life in these scriptures. But they speak of me. And you won't come to me that you might have life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of Christ. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Thank you for the favor we have in you, Lord. I pray that unusual favor will be upon the saints. Manifest your favor, Lord, in the week to come. In every door that needs to be opened, in every prayer that needs to be answered, I pray that amazing favor that we be aware that we live in your world now. You in us, we in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.